Shall we bow our heads? Lord God, we come to you tonight again. Lord, you're so good to us. You have blessed us so richly, Lord. And Father, we thank you. We thank you so much tonight for each one that is present. Father, may you, through your eternal spirit, work in every heart tonight to have an open heart, a ready mind to receive instruction, a ready mind to receive your word, the truth that sets us free. Oh Lord, have your way with every heart tonight. I thank you for this blessed opportunity we have. I thank you for the youth that are here that have such a hunger and a thirst after truth, Lord. I praise you, Lord, that there are still youth around that truly want to serve the living God. And I thank you tonight that you will not disappoint any such youth, Lord. But you will give to those that seek. You will give to such, Father, that are, that are desperate and that are, that are serious about the Christian life. Lord, I pray that you would fill us tonight with your Holy Spirit. Lord, as we heard today, and Father, may you give us what we need tonight, the, fee, the food that is good for us, Lord. And may we be able to digest it and profit from it. Be with us and be in our midst, Lord. For we ask these things in Jesus, in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. <clears throat> I was thinking along the lines of revival meetings, and I wasn't sure. I uh, had a couple messages in mind. But, uh, you know, revival is more than just some convicting message that, uh, where there's a, an open altar in the evening. Revival is more than that. Revival is when I am revived to go on with God. And sometimes we need direction. Just simple, practical direction. Well, tonight I'd like to do that. I'd like to give some direction to our youth here and to all of us. The message title I have is Youthful Temptations. Youthful Temptations. You know, among most any group of people, even in the midst of professing Christians, you will usually find three kinds of people. Or perhaps I should say three mindsets or three mentalities. The pure mind, the indifferent mind, and the carnal mind. You'll usually find those three in any uh, amount of any large group of people. Well, tonight I want this message to address all three. All three of these mindsets. To the pure mind, I'd like to say this evening, allow this message to stir you to higher ground and to greater victories yet. May the message be able to do that tonight. Establish your goals and then attain them goals. Be inspired to move on to new heights and to new purpose of heart. That's what I want this message to do tonight. To the indifferent mind, allow the Holy Spirit to stir you to life, to awaken you, uh, to, to awaken you to the reality of the spiritual warfare that we are involved in, day by day, moment by moment. Be informed tonight that the devil is out to get minds while they're young, and he makes you no exception. <clears throat> and to the carnal mind, may God use this message to bring conviction and repentance. May God, if there's a carnal mind among us tonight, may God bear down on your loose, carnal mentality and change the course of your direction. And to all of us tonight together, let me remind you that many of us sitting here never had the opportunity to sit under, sound, uh, sit under the sound of biblical teaching when we were youth. That's sad. But that's many of our experiences. <clears throat> many of us never had anyone give us clear direction on important issues of life <clears throat> as a result many of us had to and still do bear the consequences many of us had no established godly goals in our youth and never had the advantage of starting out young with a pure mind some of us never even heard of the term godly courtship before we ourselves had grown children that were seeking direction. Many of us still reap bitter consequences for some of these things. Damaged minds and concepts that are not healed overnight. Takes years. Books and music that fed our minds that still attack at every opportunity. Many of us had mountains to conquer that thank God our children don't need to conquer. 
I marvel at God's grace and I look back over my life how ignorant I was and yet God blessed so richly. And it's humbling. I never was saved until I was 28 years old. I had four children. <clears throat> we talked a little bit about this, this afternoon courtship and, uh, and some of the things that some of us men talked about. And I look back and I marvel. I marvel over and over again that God has spared me from so much. But there was one element that I had in my life and my wife had as well. Even though we were very ignorant of truth. My wife did not know what the four Gospels were when we got married. Can you imagine that? I knew more than most young boys did along those lines because my dad was a preacher. But nevertheless, God spared us from many things. When my wife and I got saved, we both looked back and we cannot recall that anything really changed in our relationship. We had a wonderful relationship when we got married and we still have that. And I cannot say that anything really changed as far as making our relationship better. Now, I don't know if you can comprehend that or not, but we, uh, we always did have the same goals, the same mind to a certain extent. I got saved and I don't think it was more than 10-15 minutes till she got saved. So we never had a lot of those struggles that some people go through where the man or the woman got saved long before the other and uh, had to struggle along with that. But I marvel and I look back. But I'd like to tell you one thing tonight. And I see this thing so often missing today. There was one thing my wife and I had. We did not have salvation. We did not know the truth. But there's one thing we had. The little bit that we had heard and the little bit that we knew produced a fear of God. I was afraid of God. I was, there were some other young people that did a lot of things that I didn't dare do. I was, I was afraid of God. I was afraid God would strike me dead if I would give myself to some of those fleshly lusts. No, I was not just a good little boy that never did anything wrong. But some of the, more, the, more, uh, the, the bigger things that some of the youth got into, I, didn't, I, never, I never drank, I never smoked, I never got into those things. I was afraid, and, and, I, and, and smoking in our, in our community was, my dad smoked. It was nothing wrong in our eyes, but I, I, didn't, I never wanted to get in it. I just had reserves against that thing. I never wanted to get in. But what I was going to say is, we need a fresh dose of the fear of God among young people or anybody as far as that is concerned today. There's a lot of, you know, when, if you don't have the fear of God, then you have a lot missing in your life. Well, anyway, I look back and I marvel that God has been so good and so merciful to my wife and I in our growing up years. And I praise God for His mercy. Let's turn our Bibles for a text this evening to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. We're going to read from verse 9 through verse 12. Ecclesiastes 11, verse 9 through verse 12 or the end of the chapter. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart, and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. Therefore remove sorrow from thy heart, and put away evil from thy flesh. For childhood and youth are vanity. Now, I'm not sure what God all had in store in these scriptures for those of us today who read it, I'm not sure, but there are a lot of thoughts here worthy of consideration, even in this short little text. Verse 9, we find God encourages young people to rejoice and to let their heart cheer them, it says. In short, enjoy life and make the most of it. I personally believe that God wants His children to enjoy life. I personally believe that He wants us to get out of life what was meant for us. God does, God does not get a lot of... God gets no joy out of long faces and, and unhappy homes. That's why His Word gives specific direction where and how to find happiness in our homes. God gets no joy out of, like I said, long faces. I'm reminded of this in 1 Peter 3 verse 10. He that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. You know, I believe God wants young men and women to rejoice. He wants their heart to rejoice and walk in the ways. He wants, to, uh, uh, he wants them to let their heart rejoice 
and walk in the ways of their heart, he says here. Another translation says, young men, it's wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. Do all you want and take in everything. And then we have a little three-letter word to consider. But. But know this, that for all this, God will bring you into judgment. He's saying, but realize this, that you must give account to God for everything you do. Yes, go enjoy yourself. He's telling us, enjoy life and rejoice. Take everything in, but temper and gauge your doings with the realization that all your doings and all your actions are written down and a day of reckoning set. I believe God wants us to enjoy life, but He also wants us to go through life with a carefulness because there's a day of reckoning set for all of us. Therefore, because of this, remove sorrow, banish grief from your mind, and put away evil from your flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. That word vanity means quickly gone, soon passed on. How true. Childhood and youth are quickly passed on. They're soon gone. They're past. Enjoy your youth while it's here to enjoy, for tomorrow it's gone. Just gone. A vapor, like James says. Now I want to take a good look at verse 1 of chapter 12. Remember now today thy Creator, thy Maker, the one you're responsible to, in the days of thy youth, in the days of thy strength, while you're full of zeal, while you're full of vigor, before the evil days come, or your years draw to a close, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Solomon is saying, remember now, consider God, fear God, while you're young, while you don't lack zeal, while you're full of energy, while your everyday choices are forming your character, while you're shaping and establishing your habits, while the tree is young and can be bent, while your mind is yet young, while your mind is yet uncluttered and receptive to truth, before you get so established and set in your ways that it's hard to change. Make your choice to pursue God and His holiness while young, so it becomes a natural part of you. I wonder how many old people wasted their young years in pursuing the flesh. Now they look back with great regret. Before the evil days come, some Bible students believe this means so the evil days come not. I don't believe evil days have to come upon anyone. I believe we can live a life from youth on up to old age and enjoy every day of it. I believe that. So the time doesn't come when life, void of vigor and energy, and when strength is gone, doesn't lose its meaning. Remember what Jacob said to Pharaoh. Few and evil were my days. God forbid that we have to reach that an old age, look back and say, few and evil were my days. Seek God in your youth, and He will sustain you when you are old. God is faithful. Seek God in your youth and He will sustain you when you're old. Some of us, when, while we're young, we cannot imagine getting old. We know we'll get there, but we cannot relate to it. And so we think we got the world by the tail at this time. Well, seek God when you're young and God will sustain you when you're old. Seek the flesh when you are young and you will solidify yourself in it and evil days will be upon you. Don't make a mistake evil days will be upon you. What a man soweth, that shall he reap. While life, uh, you, you know, your evil days will come upon you where life will lose its meaning. That's happened to so many people. You know, the body is too old to enjoy the pleasures of sin anymore and the spirit too estranged from God to have fellowship with Him. Go to any old people's home where the people are old and feeble and you'll find most of them, if they don't have Christ, you will find most of them thinking only of the years of yore. They got a hard case of nostalgia. Most of those old people do. And if you listen to them long enough, you'll find many of them talking about, you know, they'll talk about their youth and all such, and the longer they talk and the older they get, the better they were. We don't have to have that. 
I believe we can go through all our days and enjoy our life and serve God with all we have. Now, I want to get more practical and look at some temptations that are real to young people. And then I'd like to give some practical direction. I like practical messages. I, I like messages that I can put to shoe leather every day, right where I'm at in my life. And that's my desire tonight and the, and the forthcoming days and the messages that I share with you. I want to get very practical with you, youth, because I feel that if we don't get practical, you're not going to profit a whole lot from it. We can have all kinds of preaching, and if it's out there somewhere in the abstract, we're not going to get a lot out of it. We need something that fits my day and where I'm at and such. Well, I like to say, with each stage of life we go through, there are temptations that are particularly real for that stage. There are always temptations that are particularly real for that stage. The devil's never defeated because we seem to outgrow a certain stage of life. That does not defeat the devil. He is ever ready with another set of temptations that are tailor-made just for me, right where I'm at, with my situation, right where I'm at in this place of life. There were temptations that I faced when I was young that, that, that don't even appeal to me now, but others that I face now today in my age that I didn't know existed. In 1 Timothy 4, verse 12, Paul addresses Timothy in a very personal way, and you youth are familiar with this. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers, in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Paul is telling Timothy to conduct his life in such a way that no one can contribute failure to the fact that he's still young. 2 Timothy 2 verse 22, you remember verse. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow after righteousness, faith, charity, and peace with them that call on the Lord with a pure heart. Again, we find here, Paul instructs Timothy, and he tells him to flee youthful lusts, the temptations and sins that commonly beset youth. And according to this, these scriptures, there are lusts. And there are temptations that are particularly designed by a mastermind to trip up a person in this stage of life. Paul calls them youthful lusts. Areas of temptation in the life of youth that are real. And I know by the time I'm done with the message tonight, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. They're real. Let's address some of these youthful temptations and lusts. But before we do, let's consider the word lust a little bit. <clears throat> sometimes we contribute to this word only the worst of its meaning but the word lust covers a large scope of meaning it can mean desire or inclination it can mean unbridled or uncontrolled appetite or it can mean a passionate drive all those are under that meaning of lust common among youth and so we need to understand that Paul perhaps had many things in mind when he used this word in his letter to Timothy. But the overall picture we want to get is this, that the message is simple. Flee youthful inclinations. Flee the temptations that youth are inclined to fall for. Avoid and abstain from the weaknesses common to young people in their young years. I could venture out into Joseph's life, you know, the temptations that Joseph faced and we'll talk a little bit about him tonight, later on. But you know, when Joseph, when Joseph was tempted with Potiphar's wife, the Bible tells us that when he knew what she had in mind, he tried to stay clear of her. He avoided her at all. And all. That's one of the first steps that we need to learn. We talked about it this, eve this afternoon, and I'm sure my wife shared with you some also. But we need to know our limitations. We need to know where we are weak. And tonight, if I mention some of these areas in your life where you know you are weak, I tell you, do what Joseph did. Stay out of there. Don't even go there. Don't pass it by like it says in Proverbs. You're opening up the door to something you have no strength to resist if you go by. I look at that foolish man that the proverb writer talks about and how that he went by her house. What a foolish thing to do. He did not... Evidently, he didn't know himself or he didn't care or didn't realize... That where his weaknesses were. 
Let's reinforce this verse with one from 1 Peter 2.11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as pilgrims and strangers, abstain from fleshly lusts that war against the soul. Let me paraphrase this verse. Dear youth, I beg you as pilgrims and strangers, abstain, stay away, steer clear of the physical cravings that war with the soul, that put a strain on your fellowship with God and tends to destroy your peace. Many young people go through unnecessary struggles and temptations because of wrong concepts of things we relate to in everyday life. And I say unnecessary struggles. By this I mean it's very important that we see things as God does. That we as parents, first of all, and then teach our youth to view and see the more basic things of life as God sees them, in all of its purity, in all of its holiness. Unless we do this, our young people will grow up with a wrong concept and distorted view of many important factors that relate to everyday life. This, in turn, will result in wrong desires, wrong motivations, and wrong conduct. Things that could have been avoided if they were given proper teaching. For instance, God's creation of male and female and how they need to relate to one another was done in all purity, was done in all holiness. From the very beginning, this was so. With all purity and holiness, God wants His children and His creation to relate to one another. Yet the devil has succeeded down through the years in muddying these pure waters to where many youth have a distorted, wrong concept of the opposite gender and how to relate to each other. The advertising world, we all know what it's like. Anymore, it's almost impossible to take a pure mind out there and expose him to these without getting the wrong concept. Unless we as parents follow up and do our duty and responsibility and teach our young people the better things. But the advertising world and the cheap literature that's available all contribute to this factor. This is not an oversight of the devil. This is intentionally put there. What is sold today in line of books and magazines is intentionally meant to bring about a crooked and perverted view and concept. And let me tell you, the devil also knows exactly where to put it. Where you are standing in the checkout counter and you, can't, you, you have to stand there and wait. You either have to close your eyes, look up or whatever because the devil knows that if your eyes are open he has them right there, everywhere. It's meant to cheapen and destroy that which God intended to be pure, beautiful and holy. I'll tell you what tonight, young people, you get on the wrong track on some of these things, you'll ruin your future. You'll ruin your marriage before you start. A lot of young people, they get into this of romance books and things like that and I'll talk about some of that tonight. I'll tell you what, before they ever even get started on such a beautiful thing as marriage, they'll ruin it. The devil has things in mind. If he can destroy the home, he destroys the church. If he destroys the church, he'll destroy the nation. There's no nation stronger than its churches. And there are no churches stronger than the homes that represent the church. And there are no homes stronger than, than the individuals that make up that home. The devil knows what he's doing when he's trying to destroy the nation, God's creation. But these things are meant to cheapen and destroy what God has intended to be pure and holy and beautiful. Because of this, many young people don't know how to relate to the unavoidable changes and desires that naturally take place as they go through their adolescence. Many view what God has sanctified as unclean and they go through many unnecessary struggles. I'm telling you what, young people, get it straight tonight. Don't dabble in these things. My wife and I have been counseling long enough that we find that many, many marriage problems result from unsanctified things that they were involved in as youth. It follows them through. A lot of young people, a lot of young people that don't heed, take heed and they fall for lustful things before their marriage, they fall into fornication and things like that before they get married and after they're married they got a wrong concept 
or what married life is all about, all about. And the things that God has made to be pure and beautiful, they have a concept of dirty. And they don't enjoy their married life. It, it all started when they were young. <clears throat> I personally feel it's up to us as parents to see that our children receive proper teaching in these areas before they get their information from some other source. And any father or mother, I'll tell you, I'll add that, and any father or any mother tonight that has a strained relationship with their children will find it a very uncomfortable experience. You must have a good, good relationship with your children if you're going to get into these things and talk about these things. I know of a young man, this is sort of humorous, but I know of a young man right at this point, I'm going to share this because I believe it's, it's profitable. There comes a time when we need to t take our little boys aside as fathers and mothers need to take their girls aside as mothers and talk to them about the facts of life. But anyway, uh, this, uh, this lesson I'd like to share with you because sometimes parents are inclined to share more than they should for the age of the child. Don't share more than you need to. Mothers, fathers. But this young man, he took his boy out, he decided, I think he was about 10 or 11 and he decided to share with him some things. And he wanted to be careful what he shares. And so he took him out and told the boy, we're going out, going out for ice cream. And he took his boy out for ice cream. And so he bought him a cone and they sat down and they talked. And he told his boy. And he watched his boy's face as he talked. Well, the boy didn't seem to be too awful surprised. But anyway, he shared with the boy about some things. And he just shared enough. He didn't want to go any further than he had to or needed to. And so he decided the, he's going to... Uh, see how much the boy comprehends or if he's telling him enough. So he says to the boy, he said, uh, uh, are you, do you have any more questions? And the boy looks at his dad and said, uh, can I have another cone? <laughs> I love that. <clears throat> Let's look at the temptation of unclean thought unclean thoughts it seems every healthy young person growing into maturity is sooner or later plagued with this temptation in Mark 7 verse 21 Jesus listed evil thoughts as the first thing that proceeds from the heart of men however we need to distinguish between temptation and sin I think that's so important we talked a little bit about that this afternoon many young people they go through agony they go through agony because they don't know the difference between these two, temptation and sin. The devil has been able to bring much discouragement into the lives of unseasoned young Christians because of this. And whenever discouragement enters in, joy leaves. We know that from experience. And when joy leaves, so does strength, because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And this makes one all the more vulnerable to his attacks. Once you lose your strength, your strength to resist him, once you lose your joy, you get discouraged, you get down and out about things, and the devil has an advantage. makes you all the more vulnerable to his attacks. The devil will insert an evil thought and then immediately follow up with an accusation of sin for that thought. Next, he will accuse you of unholiness and weakness. And then he will whisper, how can you even be a Christian and think such thoughts? If I would ask for a raise of hands tonight, who know what I'm talking about, I believe most of our hands would go up. At this, many young people get confused and they begin to doubt. How does one avoid this dilemma? How can we get beyond this? Well, first of all, I'd like to say, don't buy into the devil's accusations. Remember, temptation is not sin but is actually allowed by God for your maturity. Do you realize that it wouldn't be possible for us to mature if we'd never be tempted? Do you realize that all virtue that we find in the Bible is a result of a right choice when we could have made a wrong one? So temptation is very, very necessary in any growing Christian's life in order for them to mature and to grow in the Lord. And as long as the temptation is resisted, as long as the temptation is rejected, lust has not conceived into sin. And the deciding factor is our attitude toward the suggestion. As long as our will 
and attitude is against it. We have not sinned. We were talking this afternoon about time, a time frame. How many seconds can you be dwelling on a certain thought before it comes sin? I don't like to use the word seconds. I like to use the word, what is that temptation doing to you? Are you still that way? You don't want any part of it? Or are you sort of with curiosity listening in? And, and I don't think it has a time frame because once we start with this second thing, then we're going to get into this. The devil knows that he can bombard you with a temptation and you resist it and instantly come again with, an, with it again and again and again and again. And he'll wear you down if you start counting time. I think it's our attitude. What do you do with this thing? I hate the thing. No, I resist you. Get the hands. You might be able to say that and experience instant victory as he flees, but don't forget, he's pretty good at coming right back at you again. <clears throat> Something that needs to be very clear while we are on this subject of our thought life is this. Lustful thinking, once indulged in, will make a person more and more its slave. Don't go there. Deliverance becomes increasingly harder. The sooner we seek for deliverance, the easier it will be. Victory over evil thoughts, like victory over all sins, comes through an honest confession of failure and a real desire for deliverance. We must also walk in the Spirit and cooperate with the Spirit in self-discipline. What I mean by that is this. If we fail in disciplining our eyes and our ears, if we fail in cutting off all reading material and seeing and hearing that is sensual and lustful, we will not be able to discipline our thoughts either. The surest way to get the victory over unsanctified thoughts is to fill our minds with the Word of God. We're all familiar with the Word. Psalms 119, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And that's why I treasure so much memories memory verses and, and memorizing scriptures. It, there's just nothing will take the place of it. You can be the highest learned scholar. You can be so educated and so eloquently able to speak behind the pulpit or whatever. If you don't know the scriptures, if you don't know how to do battle with the Lord, by thus saith the Lord, you're defeated. We need to remember, undisciplined thoughts lead to undisciplined conduct. Get a handle on the thoughts and you don't have to worry about the conduct. All evil conduct is preceded by evil thoughts. But undisciplined thoughts leads to undisciplined conduct. This leads to all kinds of indulgences like self-abuse. When this takes place, it's evident that one is a slave to his or her body instead of master. Let's remember, if the impulses of our own body rule us, the Holy Spirit cannot. Paul's own testimony was, I keep my body under and I bring it into subjection lest that by any means when I have preached to others I myself should be a castaway. That was his own testimony. I make my body my slave so I don't shamefully fall myself. <coughs> think of Joseph. Do you think that he could have resisted Potiphar's wife? Do you think he would have had the victory? You think he could have resisted her if he would have been engaged in all kinds of novel, uh, all kinds of romance books, reading romance books and such? No, I don't believe. Joseph walked in the consciousness of God's presence daily, and when the temptation came, he was more aware of God's presence than anyone else. Even Potiphar's wife was not as real to him as God. That's marvelous. Here he had this fleshly woman where his eyes could see, he could touch, he could, I mean all his five senses could make contact with this sensuous woman. But God was more real to him than that woman. That's how you get rid of temptation. The fear of God. God is real, though you may not able, be able to see him with your physical eyes. <coughs> the songwriter puts it this way. Temptations lose their power when thou art nigh. Let me share something with you on this. Do you realize that nothing, nothing can tempt you that you do not make an option with, of? 
In other words, you first make an option where there is no option, and then temptation has its power. If you never make it an option, I can say I was never tempted to divorce my wife. Never even once crossed my mind or was tempted. Why? Because I never made it an option. We entered marriage with that not being an option. And we kept it that way. And I was never even tempted. You know what? That can be in all areas of life. I never fell into fornication in my young years because it was not an option. Don't make something an option that's not optional. And the devil will lose his power. Let's look at another temptation coming among not only youth, but older people as well. The temptation of the imagination. Where the imagination is aroused to unprofitable thinking and meditations. Let's take an honest look at novel reading. And what it does to one caught up in it. You know, at first thought it may seem harmless enough to some people. After all, doesn't the mind need recreation as well as the body? I mean, I know a lot of people will reason that way. Must my mind always be engaged in the realities of life? Let's consider some facts this evening and come up with our own convictions and answers to this. Noble reading excites the imagination and entertains with pleasant, unrealistic circumstances the emotions and feelings. I'm going to repeat that. Noble reading excites the imagination and entertains with pleasant, unrealistic circumstances the uh, emotions and feelings. It will captivate you and it will escort you into a world of fantasy and unrealistic thinking. It can easily, easily cripple a person's maturity to where they find it hard to cope with reality. It also produces a lazy mind. The mind is subject to habit, the same as our physical body. Our minds are very easily, uh, very easily fall into habits. You can have a habit of thinking a certain way. Our mind is subject to habit, the same as our physical body. And if light reading, I call romance books and novel reading like that, that's light reading. If light reading is indulged in at certain times, the mind quickly adjusts to this and drifts into a partially inactive state. Whenever you start in that. A person indulging in this becomes a dreamer. They dream their life away. I've known people like that. They become a dreamer. Such a person is constantly in another world of his own making. A fantasy world. Unrealistic. And you know what? They do that long enough, they're not equipped to face the realities of life. And especially marriage. They're not equipped to handle the realities of married life. They've got this concept of what married life is according to romance books, according to some unrealistic thinking and some fabrication of the imagination is what I call it. How sad to use the the listless, inactive, you know, how sad to see this. In, in, a, in a noble reading, a, a noble reader that just loves to read these books. I know, I know people that just buy them right, one right after another. They spend their leisure hours just reading and reading and reading these books that are not even, they're not even true. They're not even real. And, and what I'd like to say tonight is, you know, how sad, how sad it is to see the listless, uh, see such a listless, inactive noble reading reader living in a world so unreal so visionary and so vain that the interests and duties of reality are neglected. How many, how many mothers especially, well, oft times when fathers are, are off to work and, and mothers are at home or, or wives are at home or young people even, they get all caught up in soap operas and on television or they get all caught up in novel reading at home and, and they're neglecting their household duties. They're neglecting their children. And what I like to say, this is sad because the thing is not even real. It's, it's not even reality. Sometimes noble readers, uh, reading takes on another form and it produces an unrest and it seeks gratification in the imagination 
uh, in areas of romance and, and affection. Many young people have faced great disappointment in marriage because of the unrealistic imagination they develop through noble readings. Really, how much of earthly sorrow, sin and wretchedness has been responsible for this unwise habit of noble reading? Or, soap operas on TV. Today anymore, most people are too lazy to read. And they just soon watch something on TV. Do you know that you can... You can a lot, people will listen to a CD a lot quicker than they'll read a tract. For a couple of reasons. Like I said, the mind gets lazy. A lot of people don't want to read. And also, the schools of the day are producing people that as graduates that really can't read that well. <clears throat> How often do wives and mothers neglect home and family to waste sympathy, vital energy, and love upon some unreal noble hero? Honestly, can you see any wisdom in shedding tears over something imaginary? When many around us need our love and sympathy and kindness to survive the burdens of life? How unwise. Many who don't think it wise to watch movies get into something as potentially destructive by their indulgence in novels. My thoughts went to the scripture today when we were talking about some of these things. Do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what that means? That means everything you do, you should be able to put Christ's signature behind it. That last book you read, that last city you listened to, your music, can you put Christ's signature to it? Can you do that? What about the Philippians 4.8 test? Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are lovely, if there's any virtue, if there's any, any, any praise, there's more to it than that, but that's just some of it. Think on these things. Well, let me tell you something. If you don't make your books and your music and whatever pass the Philippians 4.8 test, then you're not going to be able to think on those things either. <clears throat> I wonder how many CDs and how many books would go into the trash barrel if we make everything in our house pass the Philippians 4.8 test. And that, don't, let's not just look at youth. Not, let's not just look at that. Men, women, what about getting indul indulging in the daily newspaper constantly? Just reading and reading and reading for information. Or reading and reading. I mean, the news, the news today is, has, I mean, it can be disheartening and discouraging. Am I saying we should not know anything that ignorance is bliss? Well, not necessarily. What I'm saying is, read enough to be informed that you know how to pray. That's all. Read enough to be informed, not transformed. I can't handle daily newspapers. I simply can't handle daily news. People will cling to Fox News and listen to everything they have to say. I tell you what, it, it's so disheartening, it's so discouraging, I don't even want to hear it. I mean, I want to know a little bit what's going on in the country, but I don't, get, I don't indulge in it to the point where, I, where it gets me down. There was a book out some, many, some years ago, and, and it was true. It was not some fiction or whatever. It was, it was true. It was, uh, what, what it was was some of the bizarre things that are taking place in America today. Some of the crookedness at the law and everything else that's going on in America today. A brother gave it to me and I read a little bit of it and I couldn't handle it. I just, I don't want to, I don't want to see it. It just discourages you. You cannot put that and hold it up in front of Philippians 4.8 and say, this is good reading, this will build you up, this will... No, it won't do that. Another temptation that is very common among young people who do not receive wholesome teaching before marriage is that of infatuation. Infatuation. It's a very common cause of marriages going to pieces. It's experienced by those who interpret it as true love and often don't know better until it's too late. The word's definition in my 1927 dictionary is very revealing and adds seriousness to this subject. Infatuation simply means a foolish or unreasonable passion also giving the thought of senseless folly. 
When it talks about senseless folly, it's talking about not using common sense. So I want to say to you youth sitting here tonight, make sure that you steer clear of infatuation. The old saying goes, opposites, opposite poles attract. There's something in all healthy-minded people that makes them long for the companionship, friendship, and admiration of the opposite gender. We naturally, and I'll emphasize that word naturally, we naturally would rather impress them than one of our own gender. This is something inbuilt within us that we would naturally do that. And it's not wrong. It's God-ordained. God put it there. We often feel more disappointed when we are ignored or slighted by one of them than one of our own. Someone has said that the young person who denies the existence of such feelings has an unhealthy mindset, an unhealthy mindset or is lying. One way or the other. This story may be a little humorous, but it will bring a point across what I'm saying. We are born with that. God put it there. But I, I heard a story... I can't tell you whether it's true or not, but I heard a story of this man that had a bad marriage. He had a son from the woman he was married to, and the marriage went bad. I can't tell you who was at fault, but he did have one son, and he got a divorce, and he wanted nothing to do with women anymore. I mean, he had a, a bad taste, and he decided he's going to move way in some remote area where he's not, where he's not exposed to any women, and especially he never wanted his son to get, be attracted to any woman. You know, I don't know if he didn't know about God and, and our inborn instincts, but anyway, he moved to the furthest northern part of British Columbia, the remotest parts where there was, where, where there was not, much, not, not, not many people, no close neighbors or nothing. And he decided from young on up, he's going to keep his boy from ever meeting a woman. <coughs> his boy grew up and he was in his 20s. And... Uh, one day, when they were in their cabin, here come two riders on horses. Come and visit them, or just stop by, whatever. And the father instantly noticed that the one was a woman. So he got sort of panicked about this thing, and he decided, well, I'm not going to let my son see her. So he told his son he's supposed to stay in the cabin, and he's going out to meet these people. So he goes out and meets these people, and he talked to them, had a short chat with them, and they rode on. Well, he came into his son, into the cabin with his son, that evening and they were together all evening and his son was quiet and uh, anyway first thing that his, his son asked the father when he came in he said what was that and his son just said that was a goose well his son was very thoughtful for a long long time and finally he looked at his dad and he said dad would you get me a goose <laughs> the bible says God created mankind male and female Therefore, because of this, shall a man leave his parents, and likewise the woman hers, to dwell together, and they too shall become one. <clears throat> now think with me a little. What both have decided to do, and see if humanly speaking it makes any sense, or if it seems foolish, or I guess I would say there's a mystery in it. Here you have this young man, that grew up in a home. His mother was a good cook. His clothes were always washed and taken care of. He comes in the house. The bed's made. house is clean. That's all he knows. He grew up with that. And he is willing to step out from that secure home and take this young woman at his side and go off by themselves. And he's never tried her. He doesn't know what kind of housekeeper she is. I mean, he's willing to do that. <coughs> I mean, that doesn't sound very wise. We wouldn't make financial decisions like that. Turn it around. Here's this young woman, even more so. Her dad was a good provider. Security in the home. She grew up with that. Knew nothing of, of a hard time making a living and, and, and such. And so here she's willing to go with this young man and start life anew not knowing whether he's going to be able to make a living, not knowing whether he's going to be able to support her. She's never tried him. He might have some flowery words, but nevertheless, she's taking a great risk. Does that sound foolish? 
Well, that's God-given. That's God-given. You know what? We're so attracted to one another that we're willing to take the risk. <clears throat> because God created us male and female with all our distinct differences, our physical, emotional, and mental makeup is why there is an attraction between us. Men and women are not alike. They don't see things alike or think alike. And they relate to life circumstances totally, totally different. Sometimes totally contrasting. This distinction is what brings about the attraction to one another. Take away this, this, this distinction and you'll lose this attraction. Can you understand why the devil is trying to mix it up? Can you understand why the devil is trying to break down this distinct difference between men and women? Whether it's names, whether it's clothes we wear, whatever, whether it's responsibilities in the workforce, whatever. Tear down the distinction between men and women and you will tear down the, uh, the attraction and the respect that goes with that. This attraction is God-ordained and, and, and given by God. And not wrong, but pure when it's exercised within God's will. Again, I want to say, the fact that we find the opposite gender attractive is not sinful in itself. It is quite natural. I'm not teaching or promoting looseness in boy and girl relationships, as you will see later. I strongly believe in reserves. I want to bring out a healthy balance and promote purity. There are those who consider themselves so super spiritual that they avoid even a conversation with the opposite gender. This, I believe, is not from being spiritual but unnatural. Look at all the evil that has transpired in Catholicism because of such wrong concepts. The, mind and the minds and the habits of those who mingle only with their own gender is oftentimes more evil and corrupt than those who mingle naturally with the other. And also, the word love is probably the most misunderstood word. It's one of the most beautiful words found in the Bible, yet one of the most misunderstood words in the world. Books and magazines with their romance stories have cheapened the true meaning of love. Love is defined no longer as a heart commitment, but a feeling that fluctuates and changes with circumstances, a wave of emotion, an itchy feeling around the heart that you cannot scratch. Because of this, many become victims of divorce and broken homes while men and women are searching for the right one instead of being the right one through their commitment. Where true love is, divorce is not an option. And where divorce is not an option, there's no temptation to go there, like I explained. I could go into detail describing the three most common levels of love and what they are and how each one relates to the other uh, to, the one to the one loved but time will not allow that so I need to go on and address this subject, uh, subject of infatuation what in your mind do you think infatuation really is I said it's something that you youth want to avoid at all costs and so I need to I'm responsible to explain to you what infatuation actually is there's a considerable difference between infatuation and true love and perhaps you're wondering how one can know the difference. So, let's compare the two tonight. True love is patient. It will wait patiently for God to work things out in God's own time. That's true love. Because it is primarily concerned about the overall good of all involved, especially the one that is loved. True love is that is that feeling of responsibility toward the one I love to where I want his good above my own. It adjusts itself to necessary changes graciously. Again, because it has the overall good of all involved in mind. And it will adjust itself to necessary changes graciously. On the other hand, one that is a victim of infatuation is selfish and, has impatient, and is impatient. He's impatient to gratify the flesh and hasty to get married. It's considerate only when things go well 
and it's getting its way. It will not bend or adjust to necessary changes readily. Be aware, young people. Don't get these two mixed up. True love takes everything into consideration. It weighs everything out carefully and patiently. True love is not blind. True love is not blind. Get that straight. But it goes forward with both eyes open. True love is not aimless. But true love has purpose, a plan, a vision, a goal to achieve. But infatuation is blind. It tends to exaggerate the good points and be blind to the bad. It's impulsive. It's demanding and doesn't very easily take no for an answer. It doesn't see very well beyond the present and doesn't face reality. Its primary concern is what it can get out of a relationship instead of what it can put into it. Its thoughts are on today with very little consideration for the consequences tomorrow. Infatuation is the cause of many foolish decisions because it doesn't think things through. It's dull to rational thinking. Infatuation is the cause when one does not take into consideration the evident differences that exist between two people and the incompatibility of the two. I'm going to repeat that because I think it's very important. Infatuation is the cause. Infatuation is behind the fact. When one does not take into consideration the evident differences that exist between two people and the incompatibility of them. Sound logic and reason is thrown to the wind and the, uh, with the persuasion that marriage will change bad habits and differences. But marriage does not solve problems, it reveals and exposes them. Infatuation is often the outcome when one is unexpectedly given attention by one they thought far out of reach above them and above them. Let me give you an example. There may be this young handsome boy that a girl is interested in but she thinks there's no possible chance he'll ever notice me. And one day, he pays her quite a bit of attention. And suddenly she realizes that there might be a chance after all. And so she is prone to this infatuation about this young man. She's not using sound logic. She's not thinking. Vice versa. It can be the same way from the other side. Good looks and popularity in the main crowd has caused many to stoop to infatuation rather than seeking God's leading and exercising carefulness. Young people, in order to avoid being misled, need to know and be able to distinguish between infatuation and true love. Infatuation will wear off in a short time, especially if tried by the trials of life. Infatuation will wear off in a short time, especially so if put to the test with the trials of life. But true love will last all through married life, and not only that, it will transform every, uh, every duty into a delight and every obligation into a joy. <clears throat> Before I close this message, I want to define infatuation by a biblical account that we are familiar with. The life of Samson. <clears throat> the relationship that Samson had with the young woman from Timnath, the daughter of a Philistine, was anything but true love. I believe I dare say that with authority. It was anything but true love. We read in Judges 14 what took place there. 
Matter of fact, Samson's experience with this girl defines infatuation very, very clearly. The account tells us that Samson went down to a place called Timnath and he saw a daughter of the Philistines, the enemies of God at that, and he fell for her, giving no consideration to the fact that she was not an option because she was a heathen and on the very shaky ground that she pleases me well he impulsively made a big mistake he was infatuated by her perhaps she was beautiful I don't know at least in Samson's eyes she probably was but he never considered the incompatibility of the two he was blinded to common sense and logic and reason infatuation took his emotions and romantic feelings to a dangerous level and he impulsively plunged into a situation that ended in tragedy. In my message on seeking a life's companion perhaps we will take another longer look at Samson's life. But I'd like to have a message on, on courtship, seeking a life's companion later on. I'm not sure how I'm going to get through it but I'm going to try hard. I'm going to have to go a lot faster than I did tonight because I feel it should really be two messages but I don't like two messages uh, I don't like two messages that are supposed to be connected because they get separated and I once preached a message on a certain doctrinal thing and I warned the people when I preached it that I need two messages to do it and I told them not to listen to the first one unless they have the second one to listen to too well some of them didn't and come away thinking I had false doctrine you got to listen to the second one before you listen before you make your evaluation anyway let me say this before I close love at first sight is nothing special or worth getting all excited about matter of fact I don't even believe in it <clears throat> it's when two people have been looking at each other for years that it becomes a miracle may God bless you